right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sally here, going to be sitting down shortly with Colt Nost from CBS Sports and Golf Subpar and Gravy in the Sleeves, all the things that uh, he's got going on, which we talk a lot about amongst uh, his pro career, amateur career, many things to talk uh, about with golf. I know we never had Colt on actually on the podcast, but this man can talk some golf and he loves it. The action in Arizona here is heating up ahead of the WM Phoenix Open. This weekend, DraftKings Sportsbook, official betting operator of the PGA Tour, is giving you even more cause for celebration. New customers can place $5 on any PGA Tour bet and get $200 in free bets instantly. You can go to our YouTube page to see our picks for the week. Do not follow my picks. I have not hit a single one this entire season. It is a streak unlike any other. If you're attending the tourney this weekend, be sure to check out the DraftKings Money Putt event happening between the 16th and 17th holes and football fans don't forget about the big game happening in Arizona this Sunday everyone's talking about the big game here in Arizona download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code NLU new customers place a golf bet of at least five dollars and get two hundred dollars in free bets instantly only a DraftKings Sportsbook official betting operator of the PGA Tour with code NLU minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply void in Ohio see show notes for details here is Colt Nost all right, we're in your neck of the woods. We're in your home, your studio. Thank you for letting me in. Of course. Thanks for having me. been waiting a long time to do this. I'm excited. We've been talking about it for quite some time, but uh, glad we can. we're here at Waste Management this week. CBS off to a quick start with the new year, if I may say. You like it? It is vastly improved. Would you agree that it's vastly improved? I, I tell you what, it's very exciting. Everything we got coming. Um, Seller Shy has done an awesome job. I mean, even from last year, I thought it went great to, to this year with the transition to Trevor Immelman to having the guys mic'd up now. I mean, which we got to give a huge shout out to Max Homa. He was big time involved in that and it was a home run in my opinion. Now Keith Mitchell this past week at Pebble. It's it's great. I mean, for us golfers, I we kind of know what's going on. You got the boom mic there and everything, but to hear them take us through a shot or what they're thinking about walking down fairways is just access we've never had before. And by the way, we have a win and a T4, I believe. So I think players are going to be lining up to do this. I would hope so. I would hope so. And it's not, like I, I've said this a couple of times already, it's not game-changing. It's not going to be, you're not going to be rolling on the floor laughing. It's not hilarious, but it's just engaging. It just brings you right there, John Lamonti calling Keith off the shot to come back in and change the number on there. Now I'm like super, otherwise that golf shot would have just blended in with the rest of them, but I'm super engaged into, ooh, now I'm curious if this is going to fly the right number. And that's catnip for hardcore golf fans. It's it's crazy what's happened in both of these, like Max's ball plugging in the bunker, and then he's like, I'm not going to touch it. I need a rules visual. <laughs> and then John Lamonti calling him off. Like, that's not scripted. Like, we that's lucky for us. Like, having a caddy call a player off in a situation like that as he's mic'd up, I mean, that's just beautiful. And John's not like a let-me-steal-the-show no. kind of guy. He, that's the last thing he would want, probably. Honestly, and, he probably didn't even know that Keith was mic'd <laughs> up. So what is the uh, what is the trick? I've heard and read about descriptions you've made about your role here with golf media that you're you're extremely passionate about this, which I just fi- I find that interesting as a as a professional golfer. Are you still a professional golfer? And what has this transition been like from professional golf into uh, into broadcasting? Yeah, I'm technically still a professional golfer. I have no interest in playing tournaments. You know, I, I actually had full status on the Corn Ferry Tour this year if I wanted it, uh, based on playing five straight years on the PGA Tour. But with everything I got going on, you know, I don't think it's fair for 
the guys that are trying to make it in pro golf for me to go out there and play, even though I earned it. You know, I would be going out there, and whoever's first alternate probably wouldn't be very happy with me when I tee it up that week, and I get that. Um, I'm very focused on all this between subpar. I've uh, got the Sirius XM with Gravy and the Sleeves, and then CBS. Um, you know, You're busy. I, that is I'm so a, much. I am very busy, but I love it, and I don't really consider it work. I mean, I'm talking about the game I love every single day, all day. People, are, I meet people, and they're like, oh, you probably don't want to talk about golf. And I'm like, man, that's what I do. Like, I'm fine with it. Uh, but I honestly never thought I'd be in this situation. I say this all the time, and I use the t- the term athlete very loosely. But uh, us athletes, you never you never really have a plan B. You know, it's just I'm going to kill it at my sport, and then I'm going to ride off into the sunset, a very successful, rich man, and we're going to be done. But that didn't happen for me. Obviously, with the injuries I had, uh, I-, I chose to step away, and I I was very fortunate with how easy the transition was because it's not like that for everyone. When did pro golf enter the picture for you? I mean, when you when you showed up at SMU, it doesn't sound like you thought that was where your career was, your your path was headed not, as a freshman. Not even close. I mean, <laughs> I didn't pick up a golf club until I was 13 years old. Seriously? And I grew up, yeah, in a, in a small country town called Pilot Point, Texas. Doesn't have a golf course. 5,000 people the whole town. I mean, I had 89 people in my high school class. Uh, I joke and say 88 of them are still there. <laughs> I was the only one that got out. But... You know, going to SMU was so lucky. I got an email from the coach very late. Uh, I got two recruiting uh, – I was scheduled two recruiting trips because of my golf coach, Randy Smith, who works with Scotty Scheffler. He is like a dad to me. I've known him forever. He talked teams into looking at me. Got a random look from SMU, went down, took a visit. Randy was 10 minutes down the road. I was like, you know what? This is perfect. If I want to do this, like this is where I should be because then I can see Randy at all times. First qualifying round, I shoot 77. And I'm like, holy shit, I am so far in over my head. Like, this isn't this isn't good. And each day got better, better, better. Ended up making the first tournament, finished top 10, never missed a tournament my entire career. But it still wasn't until probably my junior year in college that I thought I could play professional golf when I finally started to win a few times. Then my senior year, obviously everything clicked. I won quite a few times. Played in the Byron Nelson um, when I was in college and was in contention going into the weekend. But it t- it was a lot later than most, I would say. Any wins in that amateur uh, part that were of a special note? Yeah, I mean, obviously, that that whole summer. I mean, starting at the Byron Nelson, just every, playing in a PGA Tour event, going out in the summer, trying to make the Walker Cup team. Played great every single week. I don't think I finished outside the top ten the entire summer. Ernie Keeney, uh, Trip Keeney, and, and Hank and Kelly's dad told me at the start of the summer that I was going to win the USAM. And I was just like, well, I'm not even in the USAM. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. I hope you're right. But, you know, he said Olympic Club's perfect for me. Ended up winning the Pub Links. The best part about winning the Pub Links, not just getting the Masters invite, but I didn't have to go qualify for the USAM in those 36, 36 hole qualifiers. Got to Olympic Club, loved it, and it was just one of those dream weeks. So you win the USAM, and I, I don't remember this part of it, I guess, but you forfeit your major exemptions to turn professional. You never got to play in the Masters by my collection. Any do you any any regret in that? Why why was why did you turn pro when you did? Yeah, you know, at the time there was no regrets. I mean, when I was playing professional golf, I was on the PGA Tour, everything was great, and I thought I would get there eventually. For me, I mean, I look at it this, I mean, my stock was never higher. Right. I was the number one AM in the world. I was coming off a win at the at the AM, the Pub Links, went undefeated at the Walker Cup. I got thrown money that, you know, sure. my family wasn't poor, they weren't rich. I mean, we were we were fine, but it was still it was a big difference for me between staying amateur and turning pro like my mom had taken care of me my entire life it was time for me to pay her back a little bit Mm -hmm. and so I got starts in the fall that year I played three PGA Tour events that fall I was like man the way I'm playing right now I mean I could get in contention and possibly win and be there anyway 
So it, it was a hard decision. There's no doubt. I mean, the, as a kid, I mean, the one tournament you really remember every single year is the Masters. And, you know, yeah, it hurt that I never played. There's no doubt. Now that I go there every year for CBS, it's awesome. Uh, hoping one day to be on the main broadcast. We'll see what happens with that. But I'll never forget, uh, 2021 was the first time I ever stepped on property. And it was limited patrons. And on Monday, I just went out and walked the grounds by myself. Walked all 18 holes, 1 through 18. And it was cool. And that's probably the first time it really hit me like hard that I was like, damn, I can't believe I never played in this. Hmm. That's yeah. Well, what, well, well, I, now the rules change, right? They, they do, they do invite, uh, the, if you've turned professional, you still no. get to keep your invite at no. the U S open, U S open. They do not okay. at the master not masters the is big on that tradition. You have to stay amateur. What is, how common is it for, I'm, I'm trying to think back on the years as to who, who it feels like a rare thing, right? It feels like a, usually people wait till at least the masters to turn. Yeah, I, I believe, I mean, we'd have to go back and check, but I heard, the only other guy that's done it in the last very long time was Tom Shearer, who finished runner-up to Justin Leonard at Muirfield Village. Okay. I believe he turned pro. Hmm. But I, I know I was the first guy since him to do it. So it does not happen very often. You wrote, uh, I believe in something I saw in the something that's related to SMU. You said, if I could go back in time and tell 22-year-old me some stuff, I think my career path would be totally different. But that wouldn't necessarily be a good thing because I love everything I've been through and where it's led me. That's true. What would you tell the, the old 22-year-old uh, person? Get your shit together and stay focused. I mean, when I – 07 and then 08 on the Corn Ferry Tour, golf was easy for me. Hmm. I, I had that great summer. Then I led into the Corn Ferry Tour. I, obviously, I didn't get my tour card through Q School, but I went out on the Corn Ferry Tour. I won twice in I, like my first eight events or something like that, thinking I was going to get the battlefield promotion or three-win promotion, as they call it now. And it was just easy. I played great. I think I finished seventh on the money list that year, got my tour card, and I'm like, here we go. I mean, I'm going to win at least once a year, possibly twice, and just keep this thing rolling. And I went out there, and I got slapped around. I got distracted by a lot of things that were going on off the golf course, partying, having a good time. Um, didn't work as hard as I did. For me before, it was golf 24-7. That's all it was. And and that's hard to do. I don't think that's how you should live your life, I mean, especially if you have a family and stuff like that. But I would definitely go back and work the way I did leading into getting my PGA Tour card because the first few years was a struggle. You know, I went back to the Corn Ferry and then came back. And I finally started getting comfortable 2015, 2016. I played to how I thought I should, and then I got hurt. But, yeah, I definitely have some regret of how I handled things early on in my career. That's interesting how uh... – even now today, the way you speak about how you played was of such confidence. It's not a cockiness that you're saying all this. It's a, it was confidence in your game at that time. And it is, uh, I've heard a lot of people say this and some of the quotes in the upcoming Netflix thing re reflect that as well as when you're playing well, you never think you're going to hit a bad shot again. And when you're playing bad, you never think you're going to hit a good shot again. It's, but it's crazy just how, uh, you know, how, how I guess fast that punch in the face could come. It is. I mean, this game can leave you in a hurry. I mean, you know, like I said, for two years, it was as easy as it could be. And then it went to being a real struggle. I loved what Max Homa said after he won San Diego. How He goes, you're just, you're just one good swing thought away from being good again. It was somewhere along the lines of that. But I was just like, it's so true. And especially at this level where the guys are so good. I mean, you watch a guy miss six, seven cuts in a row by a shot. And you're like, oh, he's playing terrible. But he knows he's this close to just one little tweak could change everything, and he can go on a run for months, possibly a year, where he plays great golf. Are there times in when you're competing in PGA Tour events where you're you're hitting the ball, you're playing, and you're like, "How am I? How am I t sixty right now?" 
and times where you're not hitting it nearly as good and you look up and you say, how am I T10 right now? It'd be, I feel like there's times where your, your game can feel so different than what's represented. You know, you might think a course is playing easy, but in really reality, it's playing hard. You might think it's playing hard, but everyone else thinks it's playing easy. Does, does your performance correlate greatly with what uh, place you finish in PGA Tour events? Probably not. Yeah. No, but there's there's like there's certain tournaments, right? Like John Deere, which everyone is shocked to know. Like I never made a cut at John Deere. And that's a golf course that everybody should set up well for me. And it was one of those places I would go through and play, and I'd shoot two under, and I would look up, and I'm in 58th place, and I'm eight back. It's like, what? why do these people find this place so easy? I remember one year at uh, the Reno Tahoe event where I finished third, and I hit it so bad all week. Like, it was unbelievable how uncomfortable I felt, but I could not miss. And I told my caddy, John Davenport, I go, just get me on the green. I don't care if you have to lie about the yardage. Just somehow get me on the green. And I hooped it from everywhere that week and finished third. But then there's then there's days, like, the game's just so crazy. When I, when I finished third at the players in 16, I shot 63 on Friday, hit all 18 greens, and it was one of those days where – Everywhere I drove it, I had an exact number, exact driving range number, 8-iron, 155, 7-iron, 168. Like, it was never in between. It was just one of those days where the golf gods were on my side, and I was like, wow, this is just – there's no, not even a discussion with my caddy about what club to hit. And it, I, I've made, I, without ever living PGA Tour life, but just seeing it as close as we do, I've said it a million times of there's a learning curve, too, in the grind and understanding the week-to-week – the super non-glamorous, like what well, you know, I just left Pebble to come here and seeing the same dudes on my flight jamming all their stuff in their suitcases to go jump another flight, to go wait on their bags, to go wait for a car, to go get to a hotel, to make it to the range, to practice, to learn a new grass type, to learn a new climate. You got bags packed from the previous week into the next week. Like it, I I never pictured that as a kid. It looked entirely different as a kid when the lights come on, cameras come out, and everyone shows up. I thought that it was just super easy for you guys. It turns out it's not. It's not. I mean, you see it's Rory. Not for everyone. You see Rory getting on his jet. Tiger getting yeah, on his jet. Different. Obviously, that's way different. But one thing I've begged with the TV coverage for years is, you know, obviously we want to show Jordan Spieth, we want to show Rory McIlroy, John Rahm. But Friday afternoon, the guys grinding to make the cut, I think is such great TV because it means a lot. I mean, we heard John Rahm at Torrey. He was grinding to make the cut, then almost won the golf tournament, had a chance to win the golf tournament going in. Um, but making the cut is such a big deal. That's one thing I hope with these designated events in the future we never go away from is having a cut. It's, I mean, Tiger's cut streak is a record that will never be broken, will never be sniffed, in my opinion. Uh, but it's so cool to watch guys try to fight and make the cut. As a guy who lived on it every single week, um, it's the most stressful thing in the world, but it makes for great TV because just knowing that you have two more days, whether it's to work on something or move up that leaderboard, it means a lot. And especially like for the young guys getting going, just making some money, making some FedEx Cup points here. It's so fun to watch. Hmm. Well, is it fair? Would you classify yourself as a middle tier PGA Tour player when you're on the at best? Well, <laughs> yeah. so as we enter this new phase where it, the PGA Tour is changing, right? If you were a current middle tier member of the PGA Tour, how would you feel about how things are changing out there? I mean, the money's great. The PIP, I, I don't know if I'll ever understand the PIP. You know, I, I get taking care of the best players in the world, but they get, I mean, they play the best, they make the most money. I'm all for rewarding them, but it's just it's weird how it's it's a hundred million dollars. I mean, that's just insane for the top twenty guys. And we don't even know how it actually works. Like, I would love to see a leaderboard throughout the year. Like, okay, Max Homa's in twelfth right now on the pip. You know, Rory McElroy's in third. Like, how do you how do you make up ground? What do you gotta do? Um, so I'm not the biggest fan of that. I, I would I mean, I'm all for making the purses bigger. 
let's just keep jacking this thing up and, and play for more money. But I love that, like this week at WM Phoenix Open, three guys Monday qualified yesterday that, unless you're a real diehard golfer, you've never heard of. Yeah. Okay? You're about to tee it up for $20 million against the strongest field probably you can possibly have in a regular event. Can you imagine if one of those guys somehow found their way into contention on the weekend? Nothing would be – like, it would be so exciting, and that crowd would be on their side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that. I think it's so cool. I mean, saw at the gala at this event last year was a lesser-named guy. It was a sponsor exemption, and there he is in the final group and probably should have won the golf tournament. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love the underdog story. I love giving the middle-tier PJ Tour player a shot. I hate just pushing closed them system. to the side. Not a closed system. It's, a, it's an interesting – I don't have an answer for how it should go or is going to go. It's just an interesting um, – I enjoy talking with you guys about it because you've lived it and, and it's your livelihood, yet I am on the entertainment side of it and I look at it and say, like, it's pretty hard for people at home to keep track of 100-plus players. 100%. It's no really doubt. difficult. And I go and look at, at Pebble and I, I look down the range and I'm like, 156 dudes is so many guys for a tournament. Like, when in reality, back to the pit part – there's only a, a certain portion of guys that are putting butts in the seats and are bringing people to the viewers to no the, on television. And that's one thing that I've never – I don't understand why we don't do appearance fees. I, I'd love to hear more on that because I don't understand exactly so why either. if I'm 3M, okay, Minnesota, field's not that great. If they want to give Jordan Spieth a million dollars, John Rahm a million dollars, and Colin Morikawa a million dollars can play. If I'm the 80th ranked player in the world or FedEx Cup like – why should that bother me? No one's paying to come see me. It's not taking money out of the purse. It's not affecting me. Like, And if you're Xander Shoffley and he doesn't get a million, they didn't want you, okay, you're going to get your chances down the road. But who cares if the sponsor wants to go pay these guys to come play their event? I think the answer to that would be, and I don't even, again, I don't know how this all shakes out, would be the tour not wanting sponsors to be held hostage to have to pay appearance fees, right? If if 3M ponies up to pay Jordan, yeah. then maybe he doesn't show up at this event who didn't put, and then I, you got to pay a sponsor fee on top of that. Yeah. And that's sort of a hard and fast rule. I don't know if it's right, but no, I think yeah, that's I the get answer. That. I mean, you use like Wells Fargo where Rory plays every year. Well, one year they pay him and the next year they're like, no, we're not going to pay you. Right. Well, then I'm not coming. I Okay. That, that makes sense, but it, every, is, it is very tricky. Every decision is so freaking complicated yeah. at the tour. I mean, it, uh, if it was, I, I kind of missed the parts of our job six years ago when we didn't know how anything worked and we could just lob <laughs> shots. And then every now and then you get somebody like, well, here's why this is this. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay, well, that makes sense. Okay, well, that makes sense. See, but I haven't actually heard what you just said about it. Like, my idea is, like, just pay these guys. Just pay them. It's fine. So that's where I, I you know, I would say if, um, you know, I always plug in somebody and offend somebody. I'll just plug you into this uh, for, for, let's say you're in the field this week, you finish 10th and Roy McIlroy finishes 10th. You both walk home with the same amount of money and you put a different amount of butts in the seats, that's where the pip pays off for me. That's where sure. you get a value. But $100 for million? No, paying out $100 million. Go to that No, guy, I'm just saying paying yeah. $100 million, that's a lot of money. It's a lot, but I think what, what's a, what are total purses are in the 450 plus close to $100 million in FedEx cups, so it's like 15-ish percent, 20% it's, maybe. It's, a, it's it not is. insignificant. It's, it's not insignificant. It's a lot. Um like I said, I just want to know how it works. I want to see. Do you? Because you could get involved in the, in the data, and it's not that no, interesting. I know, I know what they add up, but I just want to see a leaderboard throughout yeah, the year. Yeah, that'd be like, fun. Like all of a sudden, just at the end of the year, it's like, cool, you finished seventh. Uh, why did I finish seventh and he finished eighth? Or why did I finish seventh and he finished third? Like I would just like to know how how it all works, and because maybe coming into the last event of the year, someone that's in sixth wants to move up to make that extra few million. He does something crazy yeah. on Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> 
Harry Higgs and Joel David running around half naked. It's, you know, in a a time period where like retaining people on this, on the PGA tour would probably be at the highest priority. I think it, I think it, it makes sense. I do think I'm surprised there's not been more controversy around it though of, you know, why did I finish this blah, 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 but kind of part of the, when you're, when you're, but when you're 70 to a hundred, it's just like, it's good thing for me. I'm just, I'm happy to be out here. I'm making a very good living. Um, like you said, you're not putting butts in the seats. And I, I get that sense from most of the middle tier guys, but then I read like James Hahn on Twitter having a very different opinion of this. And sometimes, again, from an outside perspective, I'm like, I get you guys live this every week. I told, And you're so incredibly good at golf. People at home cannot fathom how good Max McGreevy is at golf. I watched him hit balls today. I'm like, hey, no one at home would ever fully appreciate how good he is. Yet, at the same time, like golf is an entertainment business. And... The balance—I don't know—that that that, that uh, like the a lot of the metal, middle tier guys are compensated extremely well for what their golf talent is in exchange for. Does that make sense? Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I laugh nowadays with the equipment companies how they're starting to go towards you know social media people more so than a Max McGreevy guy like does. Solly does rigs. I I, I love bagging on rigs. It's so much fun. He's a good buddy of mine. But I'm like. Does a dude that's wait Adam Long, who's a tailor made guy, does he sell more tailor made drivers or does Riggs? Like I know the answer yeah, to that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know the answer to that. So it, it's crazy this world we're going in. And I and I always laughed like the amount of money I got paid from the equipment companies I'm with, I'm like, why? Right. <laughs> why are y'all paying me this? <laughs> like, I mean, give me free equipment and I'd yeah. probably be happy. But the fact that you're paying me six figures a year is just is crazy. Like I don't think I don't know if I'm I think the only reason they kept me around is because I kind of swing it like a normal guy <laughs> speed wise and everything that. like hey colt that. uses this i can use this well and that's where it's kind of uh, scary might not be the right word but if i'm the tour and i'm looking at like view numbers on watching like people play golf on youtube versus like what our viewership numbers are for thursday friday it's like yeah i mean the the younger generation it seems to be watching doesn't necessarily gravitate towards pga tour golf or watching golf on television because they can watch it on demand on youtube right i don't and I, that that's like younger than me that's a younger demographic that i don't even fully understand but it uh it it, it finally seems like i want to know from you do you get the sense talking with max and talking with some of the other guys that have been involved in these meetings it seems like the light bulb's kind of gone off amongst the players that hey we need to like up the entertainment value that's where the mic'd up stuff comes from from keith and all that and like it seems like they're kind of going to start partaking in a little bit more yeah you know you you always want more access right and we're starting to get it obviously max is a unicorn he's i mean i don't know how he does it he's the best he never says no i mean i know he comes on with y'all every time he wins which is a lot i know he should say no more often and he never says no to us he never says no to any interview i mean doing the mic'd up thing at tory which ended up winning so it worked out great you know, if the players, if they, they want us to show their story, right? They want us to get their brand out there. Well, they have to be open to doing it as well. Like, we can't just do it all for you when you give us nothing. Like, you do an interview and you give us the lamest answers possible. Like, that does nothing for you. We can't help spin that. Like, we can tell the story all the time of how great you are and you do these cool things and all this, but we want to hear it from you. So we need you to open up and and allow us in there. Like, I think John Rahm would be a great guy to be mic'd up. He's done an awesome job in the I feel like it's especially gone off for him. He's doing interviews. He's engaged. He's turned on. He's he'll debate you. He'll confer, he was debating people in the media center today, live on the mic about LeBron versus Jordan. And like I, that's where I think you know if I'm looking at the PGA Tour now, not to like not to pick on guys, but if I look at like 
a Morikawa, a Scheffler, a Xander, a Cantlay, they're all extremely talented, extremely dedicated to their craft. But like, does do does the viewer at home feel emotions between those guys competing? Are they pulling for one or the other? It can kind of blend together a little bit. But the more like Rory, extremely outspoken, you know, speed super engaging, Rom super engaging. I think that if the more you can separate yourself, it's gonna in this era where the villains have kind of gone to the other side, it's it's we miss the Brysons and Brooks and Phils a lot. I mean, really? No, I do. There's very few that that I miss um, that that went to the other side. But you're right. The villain is always nice to have because it creates some kind of story, some kind of controversy. I mean, in my opinion, the Bryson Brooks thing was ridiculous. The way it worked out, they get a match and they both get three million bucks, whatever. That was kind of stupid. But you're right. You need you, you don't want them all getting along. You want it to be something out there. I mean, Patrick Reed, listen, he, I mean. He was always entertaining to watch, always. And a hell of a golfer, and he brought it was he brought eyeballs. It was interesting. It was always interesting. I wish he was still playing on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you're right. It was Like you said, it's always something. Now it's over here in Dubai. It's I, I, a ball I, on a tree, all kinds of stuff. And I shouldn't even say I wish he was still playing on the PGA Tour. It's like I wish they were all playing together. Yeah. That's like the big thing. People uh, th- seem to think we're – crazy enough like that we're like being paid by the pga tour now but it's like dude i just miss the best players in the world being together all at once and we it, want it as much as possible it happens, and i, I yeah. think that's i mean i will say with these designated events i mean we're gonna get that other it's than the guys better. that went to live the feel i mean this is gonna feel like a major championship at wm this week with a party atmosphere it's gonna be wild same thing at la the field's gonna be incredible um we're starting to get them playing together more which is great I, i'm excited for what's happening i hate what's happened in the game of golf ex- as far as the divide that sucks, and the fact that we have to talk about it every single day. But man, golf's in a good place right now. It's never been talked about more. We got so many stars in the game, and as long as they'll let us in and show like that, these guys are normal dudes. Like I use Jordan Spieth as an example all the time. The first time we ever had him on our podcast, we uh, we film it and put it on YouTube as well. And we're sitting on the patio at Royal Oaks Country Club in Dallas, and he had three beers oh, yeah. in an hour, in an over an hour long show, and people are like. Are you kidding me? Jordan Spieth, Jordan Spieth drinking beer? I'm like, <laughs> he's a 25-year-old from Texas. What do you think they do? Like, these guys are normal. After Very. Max won, he did y'all's podcast. Sunday, we went out to watch two football games. Crowded bars everywhere. People come up to him. He doesn't care. He's a normal guy that just wants to go out and have a good time. Yeah, there's – and that's where I, I do wonder what, you know, this Netflix series is going to debut next week as we're recording this, what that is going to do for golf. You know, what that is that going to bring in new fans? Is it going to make them more recognizable? I I haven't seen them all yet, but uh, we're going to have a full episode next week kind of breaking it down. But, yeah, it's – gosh, a lot has changed in the last year. It has. Holy shit. I, I hope it does. But, you know, going back to, like, getting more access to the players, getting them to be more normal, being human, most of them are. Like, I don't think people would realize Xander Shoffley has an incredible personality. Yeah. He's hilarious. Love being around that guy. But a lot of it is I think the agents try to control him too much. For sure. And that – Class acts tour. Yeah. I mean, it just – it sucks. And, I mean, I would – we you have, we have the same agent, yeah. Uh, but I, I deal with all the other agents trying to get guys on the show and all this, and I'm like, they're adults, yeah. And by the way, they're the boss. <laughs> the agents work for them. It's uh, it's hard when you when you have relationships with players too, because the player, it, I totally get the role, right? Because the players don't want to say no to you, right? And they might say, oh yeah, I'd love to do it, but in you know behind the closed doors, they might be like, dude, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Let me, I'm good. Let me step away for a little. Which while. is fine. It's complicated though. Yeah, you got to manage all that stuff. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Roback. They're back for another year. We cannot be more pumped. I was doubled up on the Roback gear today. I got their green polo on. The performance polos fit so much better than your typical boxy polos, and the collar never loses its shape. The four-way stretch material is soft and comfortable. 
I wear these things all the time. I topped it off with the Performance Hoodie. Of course, the best and most comfortable hoodies we've ever worn. They're warm, they're comfortable, they're stretchy. They're, they, I don't know how you don't need to wash them after every use, but you don't. You can get many wears out of them. You can wear them in the morning, you can wear them in the evening. Great for the golf course, great wearing out socially. I see a lot of them popping up everywhere, especially around golf tournaments. Lastly, their quarter zips, the Q-zips, they're awesome for a crisp morning on the course. I wore them out at Pebble last week. They kept me warm, yet they don't make you too warm. It's just the perfect balance. An excellent, excellent quarter zip. You can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, tees, joggers, shorts, you name it, at Roback.com with code NLU. Let's get back to Colton Oast. What is that transition like for you on the on the media side? These guys, your buddies, your peers, you've competed with for so long. You, I'm sure you have a million off-the-record stories from almost all of them, but how does it work for you when you go to talk about these players on, on your podcast, on the network, and things like that? Are you running into any, any issues yet? No issues yet, honestly. It, everything's been very smooth sailing. You know, I'm friends with most of the guys out there. I have a great relationship with them, especially some of the big – I mean, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Max – Xander like I'm lucky enough that I hang out with them a lot and and I know and I know they trust me which when there's gonna be things said and they know that I'm not gonna use that on air the next day you know I mean Jordan and Justin stay together all the time they have their chef with them love their chef he's the man we go over have dinner and there's stories told some I'm like hey can I say that tomorrow sure no problem or no please don't and it's fine but most of the stuff, I, I kind of can read the room and be like, hey, I, I I'm know not, that I'm not using that. I'm just going to let that one go, <laughs> and which is fine. And I never want to lose that trust because once you do, then then you're out. Um, and I've criticized players. I've criticized my friends. I mean, that's my job, and I think they understand that. I, I always use Charles Barkley in this because he says it so beautifully. You know, when he criticizes players, they call him they, and, and they get mad at him and bitch at him and all this. He goes, it's amazing how they never call me when I brag about him all the time. He goes, I talk about – 90% of the time I talk about how great a player is. The one second that I criticize him, he calls me and he's pissed off at me. He goes, unless you call me and tell me thank you every time I yeah. – <laughs> don't call me and complain to me when I criticize when you messed up. My least favorite is when I'll get some kind of critique about something I've said and then I'll just ask it. Was I wrong? Like, was it, I wrong about yes. this? Tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm happy to correct it. But if I'm not wrong, are you just mad that I said this? I gotten a lot of that from TV people over yeah. the years. They're like, they don't like us. And I'm like, are we wrong about it? They're like, yeah. well, no, but I don't like it. That's <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, I mean, the only time, and he was just joking, but Rory, I was, I had his group at Memphis, and he was just hitting it on a string off the tee like he does it all the time, every single time. And I, at one point, I think I said he hits his driver straighter than his lob wedge. Because he couldn't hit, he couldn't hit it around the hole with a lob wedge, and he came by and he slapped me on the ass with his glove on the range. The next day, he's like, "So I hit my driver straight in my lob wedge, huh?" And he just looked. I was like, "He goes, you're right." <laughs> and it was great. <laughs> so, uh, I, do you get the sense though, like that the the guys out there are appreciating having a younger guy like in your seat, right? Like, somebody that is a peer. That's the sense I get, right? Is that they. I don't know if you know where things were necessarily. I'm not saying necessarily things were trending in a different direction, but having somebody that they know in that role that's going to be talking about their game has to be, has to feel. Um, you have to feel a connection there. It sure seems like that. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my deals when I was getting ready to you know sign with CBS. Is like, listen, I'm ready now. I have a great relationship with all these guys. They trust me. They're going to give me more access than anyone we got, and and I appreciate that from them. And it's because I, I mean, I just quit playing. I was out there with them every week. I was inside the ropes, knows what's going on. They've been so great to me, all the players. It's it's so cool when I walk on the range. It's like 
they, they haven't seen me in ages. And I'm like, I saw you last week. But it's, it's, it's so cool how they treat me when I have a group and I'm going down the fairway with them. Like, I never really played good enough to have an on-course reporter in my group, <laughs> so I don't know, like, how we are with them. But, you know, Rory talks trash to me walking up and down the fairways. Jordan's always interacting. I mean, there's some that are all business. Justin Thomas, I would say, is a lot – he's more business-like than, than most. I mean, he's just head down, focused on what he's doing. But it's it's so much fun. Like, people are like, would you ever want to be in a tower? And I'm like, no. I love being down on the ground. I love interacting with the fans. Love talking to the players. And it's just – it's so cool to be – right there with a I have the best seat in the house to watch the best players in the world tee it up every week and it just once again proves I made the right decision by quitting because <laughs> they are so freaking good it's it's incredible watching Rory McIlroy play golf I'm like oh my god does it feel really far away now being able to compete at that level in terms of now that you see it from this seat and see how far they're hitting it because for those that aren't familiar with your game you were you were not the longest hitter no. I believe no, although I hear you're working on that I am I am I got the stack system <laughs> going right now we're working on it um, but yeah, it's crazy. The game has changed a lot over the last 10 years distance. I mean, the, the distance these guys hit it is crazy. I'll tell you how sad it is. Um, like when I go out and play with Max and Rom and those guys, I play a tee up. Now. I was, I had it's, a feeling that was coming, <laughs> but it makes it a fair game, sure. which is a lot, which is fun. I'm 40 yards up on a tee and then we play from the same spot and it's great. And I'm like, God, this would be so much fun to play from up here every single week. So it's a little shot to the ego. But I like to gamble, and I want it to be fair. I don't ever want to be. I want the chips to. I want everything to be odds to be in my favor. So uh, it's depressing, kind of. But at the same time, it's it's a lot of fun to play up there with them. Do you keep a handicap now? Oh yeah. Okay. What is it? I think we're plus three point one index or something like that. Okay. I probably wouldn't play you at that. That yeah. sounds. That sounds. I, I type in every score. I believe you. I, I believe at one you. point, I got to like plus five something because I, I shot sixty one one day at Whisperock. I completely blacked out and don't know what happened. And I worked very hard. I played a lot to get that. To get yeah. I was like, this thing's got to go. What are the money games like up at Whisper Rock? It's great. So I play with normally this, we have about 10 of us that kind of rotate depending on who's in town and everything. Anywhere from a dentist to a financial guy to just some rich people that are retired to Max Homa. John Rom joins every once in a while. Kevin Chapel. Um, we have a blast, man. That's that's I have like I don't care what I shoot anymore. I just care if I win money at the end of the day or not. But every you know, I do Sirius XM Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If I'm home, I tee it up. You sound like you got, you're in a good place with your relationship with the game of golf. Now. Oh, yeah. it's so it's so much fun. I, I enjoy playing so much more now because it just doesn't affect anything for me. And I probably honestly hit it better now than I did when I played just because I don't care. I talk to Mark Blackburn about that all the time. He's like, can you please explain to my tour players that? And I was like, it doesn't work. It'll never work that way. You can not go out there and play carefree. It's impossible. Well, because some people, when they leave their competitive golf you know, era, when they go play and they go play poorly, they enjoy it even less. Like you can't get, you can't get the images of when you were hitting it amazing out of your head and going and slapping it around is not appealing anymore. But it seems like what well, I saw you last week playing some, some casual golf out in the Monterey Peninsula, which it seems like anytime you can get a chance to play, you're playing. Oh, I love it. I mean, I could play every single day. There's Do you no, travel with your clubs on the road? It depends on where we're going. Yeah. I hate carrying the damn thing around. That's the worst part. Like, especially when we're going just for a CBS weekend, like I can just take a carry on. But the West Coast swings so hard not to bring them. I mean, out at Pebble, fortunate enough to play Cypress. Then you go to L.A. and you got games at Bel Air and L.A. North. It's like, I, I got to take my clubs. You don't get to play these every day. What would you think of those pins out at Cypress last Tuesday? It was hard. Oh, my God. Um, I, uh, I played okay. Made a few birdies. Actually hooped it on 13 for a deuce. Really? Yeah. 
hit a it was back into the wind, had a 117 and hit a little nine iron and and hold it and then proceeded to make double on 14 to follow it up after i told the caddies they were talking about how hard 14 is and i said every time i've played here i've played 14 really well proceed to make double of course um but man it's a special place what's the highlight stop of anywhere to go play anywhere on tour i mean it's hard to beat that if second what would number two be then well my favorite place in the world is shadow creek las vegas i mean everything about it um from the time you pull in the gates the people that work there playing on the golf course getting to pretty much do whatever you want on just the most gorgeous piece of property without an ocean in my opinion it is such a fun golf course to play uh, that's my favorite boys trip because i'm not a guy that i don't want to play golf sun up to sundown okay like band and dunes beautiful incredible but i want to go tee off at noon be done at four cocktails dinner have a good night where else is better than las vegas if, if technology had been capped let's say at like the 2005 moment how different do you think your your golf career would have been? Probably a lot. Do you lot. think it would have? Yeah. Yeah. If I if I would have stayed focused mentally yeah. and not gotten distracted by everything, I think it would have been a lot. What happened with your wrist as well? Like, what, when, when did injuries start? Yeah. So I started in two thousand what fifteen. I started feeling some pain in my thumb, and I was a guy that played with a pretty open face and just used my hands a lot at the bottom. And I think eventually that's what really kind of tore my thumb apart. But played two thousand fifteen, played pretty good. Rolled into sixteen, and things were going really well but I noticed I kept losing speed my club head speed kept going down and down and down thumb was killing me 2016 I never hit a ball after I played a round which is unusual for me I would warm up I was 20 minute warm up and go because my thumb was in that bad of shape finally got it looked at got misdiagnosed ended up having my uh, wrist cleaned up that's why I was out the first time hit a shot in Dallas when I came back after being out nine months felt another pain in my thumb saw a specialist there and he's like dude whoever told you there's nothing wrong with your thumb is, is wrong and uh, they operated on the next day I uh, was out another nine months came back on my medical and just never really got it going you once said that uh, you know some of your most memorable rounds of your career were playing with Phil Mickelson Saturday and Sunday of a PGA championship what do you remember about that yeah it was, it, it was crazy we played together four times that week uh, I flew in Sunday before we had a match at Baltusrol a little money game it was a weird group it was me and Jason Kokrak versus Phil and John Curran which okay. was just the most random natural thing force ever. Him. And then uh, Tuesday we played a practice round, and this was one of these things that's not like the other. It was me and Justin Thomas versus Spieth and Phil, which was we had 5,000 people in a practice round following us. But I've always loved playing against Phil, have a great relationship of talking trash to each other. We've never been on the same team. Uh, I've played a ton of rounds with him. I just love action. He loves action. He likes that I, I, I think, or at least he used to. I don't know how he feels about me now. <laughs> I think he, he loved that I would needle him back. And then we go in, and I know we both made the cut uh, on the number at Baltusrol in the 2016 PGA, and we get that text uh, says, you know, first tee, eight o'clock, Phil Mickelson, and Bones screenshotted it to both of us, and he said, "Oh boy, here we go," <laughs> and so it was so cool. I mean, there was some trash talking going on, but we were, you know, we're both. It was business. I mean, he's it's a major championship, but playing along it just shows you how big a deal he is i mean we're here we are first off in 63rd place or whatever and there's so many people the whole way around and he's great he just it's it's awesome to watch him hit some of the shots he can especially around the greens um some of the comments he would have but i remember i i pull hooked one on 17 and i hit a guy and normally there's not that many people following me so i don't have to worry about that so i get over there and i was like did i get anybody and like yeah you hit this guy in the chest i'm like man i'm so sorry i was like you want me to see if Phil will sign a glove for you? <laughs> <laughs> and they just all started laughing. I was like, Phil, come over here. Sign, this, sign a glove for this guy. He doesn't want mine. 
but no, he was great. It was it was cool to play in a major with. The only time I played with him in my career in a tournament was a major. Did you do you still have a relationship with him at all? Or talk to him at all? Or it doesn't seem like many guys that are no, not on that side of the aisle do. It sucks, man. Uh, because I always felt like we were decently close. Exchanged texts all the time. You know, always rooted for him. And ever since he went over there, I mean, you know, my job is to give my opinion in the game of golf now. And obviously, it's not with where he is right now. And everything that happened with the Shipnook stuff and everything, like I gave my opinion, and I, I'm guessing he heard it um, by some of the things I've heard from other people. You know, he randomly sent me a DM on Twitter one day, showing all these facts about what the PGA Tour has done as far as their tax situation and all this. And I'm like, dude, you have my number. I mean, you, if you want to talk about this stuff, I'm happy to talk about it. But I've never bad mouthed him. I mean, I, I, I have said I, he probably regrets, you know, everything that came out with with the Shipnook thing and. I don't know which side you're on as far as was he on the record, off the record. I don't really care. It sucks that he's the way he'll leave the game of golf yeah. as far as it is right now it's because crazy. he's truly one of the greatest that's ever done it. He's achieved so much. He's been so great for the game of golf. Here he is, you know. I mean, as he says, you know, if Tiger wasn't around, he'd have a lot more trophies but a lot less money. I mean, Tiger's well, the reason we, we know he would, what he would yeah, trade for. Yeah, but – He's one of the best talents we've ever seen, and he was he was always great with the media too. He was open and and gave us a lot more access than some of the other great players. So, entertainer, yeah, he was entertainer. And like you know, I mean Still that first that, that first match with Tiger. I mean, yeah. he tried his hardest he to, to get it going. It's just Tiger's just not going to give you that much. So I miss him, man. Uh, you know, I was I was I went down to the 18th green when he won his PGA at Kiwa. I mean, I was there right when he walked off, gave him a hug. He's always been so he he texted me when I was. Um, trying to figure out whether or not I was going to turn pro or play Augusta. Um, he's like I said, I can't say anything bad about him as far as how he's been towards me. I would love to talk to him again one day because we've always had a lot of fun together. How have you approached with? So you have a job with CBS, who is partnered with the PGA Tour. You've been a PGA Tour member. You have your own radio show. You have a podcast talking about all the things of golf. How have you approached? What's been your strategy of how you've approached everything that's gone on with Live? Well, I'll say this: the thing that bothers me the most is people. Th- that all their comments on Twitter are, you're paid by the PGA Tour, you say this. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I am paid by people that are partners with the PGA Tour, but not once has anyone ever told me what to say or say, don't say this, or we need you to say this. That's never been the case. Like, my opinions are mine. Um, a lot of people don't know. I was offered a deal by Liv and to, to we, go broadcast. We heard you say that on yeah. a hot mic on the PGA Tour Rage talking with Rory at one point. Oh, God. I don't know if you knew that was oh, Well, I didn't know that came out. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was, and, and I'm not shy about that. And I honestly – I just don't believe in the product. Like, to me, it's just – it's it's not that interesting. You know, 48 guys, the same 48 every single week, 54-hole uh, shotgun start. Like, I just don't see the, the pressure being there like it is at other tournaments. And, listen, I've not – hated on one person for going because you give me a hundred million dollars I'm out in a second where do I sign I mean <laughs> Pat Perez it's a no-brainer for him I mean if he got 10 million you know we, we've never seen the contracts we've heard and stuff if he got 10 million at 46 years old and he can go over there and, and play with the aces and make a gazillion more dollars dude where do you sign it's just frustrating like I said that it's it's come up all the bad blood that's going on and still it's it's not like the PGA Tour guys hate the live guys. I mean, they're still friends. 
It's just it's unfortunate how there's this, been this divide, and a lot of it probably is because of the media. Well, I'd say I think a lot may them some of them may hate the guys that are suing the PGA Tour. Yeah. Like the I haven't heard many people say a bad thing about DJ, who's just gone over hasn't said a word, just going to go play golf is is a financial business decision for my family, and this is this is it. And I think that's different than like Phil like cooperating with the Department of Justice potentially the antitrust yeah. suit and Mickelson et al suing the PGA. He's taking his name off the lawsuit now, but like that. That's having your cake and eating it, and I think that's really tough for a lot of people to get you know, over. I was sitting with someone recently, and we were talking about this whole thing, and they brought up Brooks, and who Brooks went on one of the most unbelievable major runs we've ever seen. You know, winning four in that short amount of time, and it's like, how could a guy like that, who's won four majors, Hall of Fame, would be a Hall of Famer, no doubt, you know, go do this? And the guy said Brooks sold his business, and I'd never heard it like that way, and I was like, man, you know, that's interesting and it makes a lot of sense like here i am i got an opportunity i've had a great run i've had a great career does he want to win more majors of course i'm sure he does but it's like i don't think you know what you would do it's hard for me to be like oh i would do this until you actually get that contract in front of you it's like here's a hundred million dollars to go play golf hmm. i mean that's a joke it's crazy and yeah it is a there's a lot of people that that's why they play golf. A lot of professionals that that's why they play golf. It's 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 for work, and the money is the mo- what the money is. But a lot some people you know are chasing something different, and that's where I'm just like that. Where I net out on it all is like as a fan, I know what I'm rooting for. Like if if I'm an NFL fan, I mean take if if Kyler Murray here is we're here in Phoenix. If he was going to go play in a different league to make more money, that wouldn't be interesting to me. Like I'd rather watch him compete with the best players in the world. And so it's it's just I'm amazed at the people that do kind of view it. Fans, I should say, I can understand it from where you're sitting, so being peers with these guys. But fans that say, "How can you fault him for going and doing what's best for his family?" It's like I can't, but I'm a fan. I only know who he is. Yeah, I don't I care want about him golf. to. I because I care about yeah. golf. You know. I, I use the analogy. I'm like, say say they started up some football football league and they paid. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, you know, some of the top defensive guys, just handfuls here and there. And then there was some scrubs as offensive linemen and all this. Like, would it be as entertaining? No. No. I don't think it would be. And would be. the NFL be? No, it'd no. be less. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that's like the, the dilution. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the other thing about the live thing I always get into is, is people compare it to other sports and it drives me nuts. Golf is not football. Golf is not the NBA. Golf is not major league baseball. People think they should get paid the way Aaron Rodgers does, Tom Brady, and it's just not—it's not logical. I mean, you look at the TV is what drives everything, and it's just so simple to see. You know, the NFL TV contract is twelve billion dollars a year. Twelve billion. The PGA Tours are seven hundred and fifty million. I mean, just do the numbers. It's—it's it's, they're never going to get there. You know, the the most watched professional golf event I believe of all time was the Masters in two thousand nineteen. It was nineteen million people. The average NFL Sunday regular season game is like forty two million. It's something stupid. Like, the numbers are just insane. So I wish people would stop trying to compare this to football because it's not like that. And it doesn't need to be like that. The whole we shouldn't have a cut thing, everybody should get paid. This is what's beautiful about the game of golf. You have to go out there and earn it every single week. Like somebody brought up Cam Young the other day. Just had a phenomenal season. Finished top 30, rookie of the year, isn't everything. He could go out and lay an egg this year and lose his card because he hasn't won. Yep, he's got no – well – he, you, you get, you get an extra year for so tour championship changed. now. Yes. Did that go into effect last year? <laughs> it is, yes, yes. Okay, so he does have an extra. But yes. before, but to your he point would have had no security. Correct. Yeah, okay. Your point stands. Yeah, no, it's, it is very interesting. The problem, I think, with all of it, and we don't have to spend much more time on Liv, but like there was something there with the franchise model and the team model. They just needed to have everyone. And, and, and something that divided everything 
was and the people who listen to this have heard me say that a million times but i don't wh- really get the team thing part in it so yeah it, it i mean it just it doesn't can, excite me yeah that's fine and uh i i'm not even positive i would like it but it, i don't know there's just something there i think but what was your decision process like then when you get an offer from live what was what was uh was it an amount of money that shocked you that that kept you up at night yeah it shocked me when i when i got it um I'll never forget. I mean, we, we share the same agent. Uh, he, he called me and he said, you're sitting down. And it was about an hour before I went on brought, uh, on air at the Byron Nelson this past May. <laughs> so this is before DJ Brooks, anyone had really gone. There was They didn't really have a big-name guy yet. And I literally was going to throw up all day on air. I mean, I was trying to call golf, and I'm just like, my God, what the hell? <laughs> so we ended up getting on a phone call later that night with the head boss and all this. And he told me his thoughts. I told him mine. I was like, I literally think I'm about to throw up all day. Like, I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, then we're not doing it. And I immediately just felt this sense of relief. Like, it, I didn't even sleep on it. I, I, I couldn't. And um, I just, it didn't feel right to me. You know, I have such a great relationship with all the guys out there. And the fact to know that, like, some of them might not like me or some will turn their back on me and I might lose some friends over it. Like, I, I couldn't live with myself. And also, at the time, I was 36 years old. Like, I, I feel like I'm going up and I feel like I got a lot ahead of me. And my deal was, this is, this is a lot of money. Say this thing goes under in three years. Then what am I going to do? I lose my Sirius XM show. I still have my podcast. I hope, uh, they're not associated with the PGA tour, but I'd lose CBS. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? And my dream, knowing that I skipped the masters, I want to be on the masters broadcast on CBS coming down the stretch, going through aiming corner on a Sunday. Like that's my dream. That's what I want to do. And I knew if I went over there, like, that's never going to happen. Like I said, I'm 37 now, and I'm just, I'm just getting started in this. <laughs> I, I do, I've asked myself this. I've tried to put myself in, in this scenario of would a ton, a ton, a ton of money be worth not feeling comfortable in my own skin? No. And I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. Probably yeah. not. It doesn't feel like it would be. Like, I just don't know if I could walk around if having a lot of money would make me happier than like having people's respect. Yeah. I think if, if it's, it, it's not that simple. I know that, but I think that would matter. And it seems like it mattered in your decision. It, it did. And yeah. you know, I, I, this is I, interesting. I feel like, you know, I put myself like with what Harold Varner said, I can relate to so much. They asked, you know, was it hard? He goes, hell yeah, it was hard. He goes, and they said, why? He goes, I don't want people to hate me. Yeah. And that's how I am. Like, I care what other people think. Everyone says, Oh, I don't care what people think. Yes, you do. We all care. We all want to be liked. Nobody wants to be hated. And, you know, I knew at the time, like, things were going very well for me in the game of golf with the, with the media side, broadcasting and all that. And I want that to continue. And I think, you know, the PGA Tour is not going anywhere. I don't care what anybody says. The PGA Tour is not going anywhere. This is where I want to be. Um, I want to be talking about the best players in the world for as long as they'll have me until some other guy comes along that they think's better than me, which is, which is fine. Um, but right now, man, I'm in a great place. I love it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a hard decision. There's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money out there that they're throwing around. It's kind of like a, it seems like the, the conversation you had is similar to the, the, how I put the hard decision test is, you know, flip a coin and heads, you go tails, you stay and you flip it. And then before you look at it, you got to think about what, what were you rooting for in the air? Like what was your gut telling you? That's a good point. And that seems like your reaction of the relief you felt. I think uh, if it would have landed that way, I'd have been like, okay, best two out of three. (laughs) (laughs) See That's your gut answer. I actually, I moved out of the country based on that game that was played at 3 a.m. one time. It was heads, you leave tails, you lose. And uh, we were all drunk, of course. And, uh, the guy flipped it and he's like, all right, well, what is it? I was like, he's like, doesn't matter. What, what are you rooting for? And I was like, I hope it's heads. 
and he pulled his hand off into his head. It's like, all right, I'm going. Wow. It was a drunk decision, but it ended up being a good one. That's but, cool. Um, yeah. What uh, What's it been like kind of getting indoctrined with the with the CBS team? What's a, what, like, do you ever picture you'd be working with Jim Nance? No, I still, to this day, I mean, every time he sends it down to me in the fairway, I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> this is Jim Nance. He started at CBS in 1985, the year I was born. So, amazing. I mean, I've listened to Jim my whole life. Um, had the chance to meet him a few times when I was playing. But to be working with him now, and we have an awesome relationship. He's everything you hear about him. He's better, and I mean, he's like truly one of the nicest people I've ever met. I, I love sharing this story because I, I feel like Jim always says the right thing. He he never stumbles his words. He never wishes he didn't say something. But it's just no matter what the situation is, he always says the right thing. So he always hosts a dinner every year at Pebble Beach on Saturday night. And last year I went down there, and I walked down to the bar. And there, I think I was one of the first ones there. And there he is. And he orders a lemon drop martini. And I just start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing about? I go, I mean, this drink you're ordering. I go, the only person I've ever seen order one of those is my mother. And he's never met my mom. And he goes, you tell Luann I can't wait to have one with her. And I'm like, God <laughs> damn it. I was like, that was the most unbelievable answer. Now my mom's going to be so excited. I was like, and you knew her name. It's just, he's, he's unbelievable. He's the goat. Um, there's no one better. I love, like I said, it's. I pinch myself every time he sends it down to me, and the fact that we talk all the time, text and everything, he's great. He is so good at his job, it's ridiculous. He just he. I don't think people realize how hard the job is he does, and he makes it look so simple. Multiple sports, like it's not you know to know the backup defensive lineman on the Bengals, and also be able to tell you something about Joseph Bramlett come you know Sunday is that's not easy. I've never met anyone with a memory like him. It's so we were sitting at Wyndham. A couple years ago, it was a 25-year anniversary. It was going to be the 25-year anniversary of Faldo's win in 96. And this dude was rattling off shots that Faldo hit on Friday on, like, hole 11. And I'm like, are you serious right now? And then he's like, oh, you did this, and Greg did that, and this, and this. And I'm like, and Nick looked at him, he's like, you're right. Like, I mean, 25 years ago, all the sporting events he's into, all the calls he's had, and he can remember shot by shot. It's everywhere we go, every volunteer – Everyone involved in the tournament, he knows their name. It's it's he's he's different. I, I may have told this story on the pod before, but I got dinner with him last year at Colonial at Fort Worth, and he has goes to the same restaurant every whatever night of the week. And he had met he knew people that also went to the restaurant on that night on that whatever Friday or Saturday, I forget what night it was, these Canadian guys that would see him every year and he knew them by name, just people he sees once a year. Like, it was remarkable. But, uh, yeah, it's got to be. It's cool. The whole it's, team, though. It's got to be a fun traveling road show. It is. Yeah. I mean, Frank Nabilo's my guy. Um, we have so much. He's he's my dinner and drinking buddy. Um, <laughs> I love Nabilo so much. He is hilarious. Um, we have, like, he's the guy that normally we take shots at each other back and forth on air, try to have a little fun with. I wish we could see Frank's real personality on air because he's one of the funniest guys I've ever been around. <laughs> well, you guys did a, had a little twist. What well, you got cooked up for this week? Because you guys had a twist last year. You and Amanda were down on the 16th tee Saturday. Gave us the the obviously the huge moment with Sam Ryder and all that. You guys got anything new cooked up for this week? So I know there's going to be some more cameras and stuff on 16. I think we're having a fly cam and all this, but we're going to be back there, Sweet. Amanda and I. Obviously, we set the bar about as high as you possibly can. It's tough to uh, follow. Thanks, Sam Ryder. Uh, we were going to need somebody else to make a hole in one this year to live up to that. But it's just so cool to see Saturday, which is the wildest day in golf. I mean, and the players know it. They know it's a party. And that's why I think the tour went for it. Um, you know, I would love for players to be over to be able gotta to come, come over. Got to come have, by. You know, we set just a microphone on a table last year that got shut down pretty quickly. I think we have a better chance of it this year. 
I'm hoping so because it's a long day, and we know it. They know it. It's a fun day. I mean, the, the crowd is just absolutely insane. Come over, say a few words, you know, tell us what it's like, how fast your heart's beating going through the tunnel and everything, because there's literally nothing like it in the game of golf. I don't care who you are. We sat down with um, – we had a little – our event called the Larry yesterday and we had Spieth and Fowler there to talk afterwards. And I mean, here's two guys that are very successful in this game. Jordan Spieth, a three time major champion. And he says it's right behind the nerves he feels at the Ryder cup, like walking through that tunnel. That's just so cool to hear you. It's wild. You, the celebrities that play on Wednesday, they're like, Oh my God, I, I don't know how y'all do this. I can't handle this. I'm like, uh, you shot free throws in front of 25,000 people with the NBA finals on the line. And this makes you nervous. <laughs> He's like, it's a different, different atmosphere, but it is so cool, man. It, it's one of those events. I feel like if we had it multiple times, it wouldn't be as multiple times a year. It wouldn't be as special, but the fact that it's once a year, you know what you're getting. And the fact that it's going to be this kind of field, it, I can't wait for this thing to get going. Outside observers take is that you guys seem to be trying to at different events bringing what makes that location or event special to life. Like that atmosphere is what makes waste management what it is. Pebble Scenics last week were like a focus. The drone shots where you guys were staging interviews, it just seemed like all right, we have to set the scene for where this place is. And it seems like it seems like again, you guys are just incrementally adding stuff here and there and. Uh, it's, it feels, it feels weird to be praising CBS as much as I am <laughs> over uh, compared to how it was four years ago or so, but uh, I, we have to praise progress. Well, I wasn't there four years ago, so, <laughs> but no, I, I mean, we obviously, we see everything y'all say, um, and we appreciate that you think we're going in the right direction. It's tough in golf. Golf's boring, man. It, it's, it's hard. It's hard to make a golf broadcast really enter, entertaining. Like I tell people all the time, I mean, you, you hear everyone, like, oh, I used to love to turn the golf on and take a nap. I'm like, no, we I don't, don't want, want that. you to do that. That's insulting to me. <laughs> that means I'm boring. So we want to make it fun. We want to make it energetic, bring some energy to the broadcast, uh, different things. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to make golf really, really exciting. That's why I think the little things we're doing here and there are really good. The miking up of the players is fantastic. I will say the the one thing, and they'll probably get mad at me. They'll hate on me for this. That thing we did on this weekend at Pebble, where it, it predicted where the ball was going to land. I don't like that. I I was like mind blown by it. I was amazed by it, and also like I I, I don't need that. Like, well, also we're, we're gonna that's find my out. job. I was gonna say <laughs> that's my job is to tell you where it's going to land. <laughs> and now it's got some computer that's obviously way more accurate than I am. Um, it's it's amazing that it can do it. It's interesting to be able to do it, and it's. Uh, but I think it, the part of watching golf on TV is the suspense of what's going to happen well, while it's in the air. One thing, like, I want to build suspense while the ball's in the air. This is right at it, you know, this all over. This is miles left. Well, if something can show where it is already, it kind of ruins everything. It's like a, uh, artificial – it's like chat GBT for, uh, for for announcers. You're getting replaced by the robots, but I don't think that's that's quite uh, yeah, but, ready man, for Man, I hope everyone's enjoying it. I think, you know, we're going to continue to try new things because, listen, we want our audience to get younger. We that's, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what our goal is. And so whether it's, you know – bringing younger people on like myself that can relate to a different audience or just new technology. I, I think we're heading in a very, very good direction. Can you give people an idea of what your job is like in terms of how do you have to position yourself? How do you make sure no one can hear you? How do you get queued up? What are you looking at when you are doing a call? How does that work? Yeah. So obviously like when I first got into this business, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. So it's just kind of, you learn as you go. There's not a whole lot of training. But, but but down on the ground, you know, I got my headset on. I can hear the producer, and I can hear the program in the air. And so there's a lot of voices going on and everything. But I try to get far enough down. One of the things that drives me nuts when I always watch golf with the on-course people is when they whisper. 
because I can't hear you and I can't understand exactly what you're saying. So we have this great technology of it. We call it a PERD. It's a little monitor that we carry with us. And so I can see the coverage. So I can get, I can call this from 80 yards away. And I like to get it far enough away where I can still see, but I can speak normal. And obviously with huge crowds, you can yell and no one can hear you. But um, I, I always try to get ahead. That's my deal. I try to stay out of the player's way. But I like to hang back occasionally and, you know, give them some shots every once in a while, or hopefully they give me some. But, yeah, mostly just stay out of the way. But for me, being on the ground, it's just I feel like that's where I'm meant to be. When I first did it, um, I was up in the tower for a few weeks, and it didn't go great. Like, it was nothing special. Like, it wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was – they weren't going to hire me or anything like that. And I did the PGA Championship for ESPN at Harding Park when there was zero fans during COVID. And I, Mike, Mike McQuaid, the producer there, I said, will you let me go on the ground? And he said, yeah. And I went, I can't remember if I was with Spieth's group or who it was, but 10 minutes in, in my ear, he's like, this is where you belong. Hell and yeah. I just, I, I, I'd never want to go anywhere else. McQuaid seems like a talented guy as he's well. He's great. Yeah. Fun to work with. What, uh, I hate when people ask me this question. Absolutely oh, good. Can't hate wait. It, but picking out some of your favorite interviews you guys have done podcast-wise or, or something that sticks out to you as your best interviews you've done who who would that be well my favorite one of all time is a non-golfer who's that? uh mike commodore okay a uh, hockey legend won stanley cup in raw it's just he's the funniest dude on the planet he's got the greatest stories i've heard all the stories a hundred times and i still cry laughing every time he tells them he's just a great storyteller um as far as golf wise like joel damon is just he's so open so honest max is the same way one we did recently that really i think surprised a lot of people he won on the PGA Tour, but it's not a big name. It's Charlie Belgian. Like, his story is crazy. And he sat right here and was so open, so honest. He said, nothing's out of bounds. Like, I don't care. Just ask me. Talking about how, you know, he had a bad drinking problem, was drinking on tour. You know, Xanax on the golf course to try to help his nerves. Just to hear what he went through while he was playing. And now he's been sober for 26 months, which is cool. He did really well in Bitcoin. He's, he's thinking about going out and playing professional golf again. But just a wild ride he was on. And it was so cool to see someone like that so open and honest. Hmm. Did you try to talk him out of going back into professional golf? I'm like, if money's not a big deal and it doesn't really matter if you make the cut or not, then sure, why not? I mean, he's he's a good player, but yeah, that stuff's too stressful. Who wants to go play mini tours? It does look really stressful. Like, I imagine, like, sweating out the birdies and bogeys seems like it would be extremely, extremely stressful. It is. I mean,. Yeah, not everybody's like those top guys who it's like, Miss Cut, okay, no big deal. I mean, you're living and dying by every cut out there, um, trying to keep your when – you're, when you're one of those guys that has to fight to keep your job every single year, it sucks. I mean, it's so rewarding when you do it. But when you're – I mean, go, imagine going into Wyndham and you're like 124 on the FedEx. It's like, I just want to puke every single shot. A couple shots could decide, you know, whether or not you get courtesy cars next year. And, you know, it's yeah. it's tough. I so. mean, I remember one year at Wyndham, Martin Flores finished hole-in-one birdie and then made like an eight-footer on par to get his card, and it knocked some guy out. And I was like, imagine being the 126 well, guy that just got a hole-in-one made on him. It was Zach Blair. I mean – I remember that. There you go. I mean, it's just <laughs> – like, what's the worst possible situation? That. Ugh. Well, I enjoyed hearing your stories, man. Thanks for having me uh, in your home here. Look forward to Waste Management this week. I think it's going to be a great week. Excited to see what these designated events look like, and we will have to do it again sometime, and I'll see you at dinner. You got it. Anytime, and thanks for dinner. You bet. (laughs) Be the right club today. Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!
expect anything. 